0: I used to get a pile of notes going. And the song came into my heart, uh, Oh, how I love Jesus. How I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. And I told Lowell this morning, I said, Lowell, I want you to come down. We're going to sing it as a congregation. But we just sang, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the power of his life. I believe in salvation. I believe everything's done for us. But I wonder if you who know this little chorus, it goes back a few years, but if you would just join with me as an act of worship to the Lord and a statement of your um, position as a believer and sing it. Oh, how Fired it. singing with us, helping us through that. Oh, how I love Jesus. I want to ask you the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Uh, You say you love him, you say you follow him, and you know that he's your savior. You know a few words about him. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We've come to uh, another section of this in our study in the book of Colossians that really does address this matter of who Jesus is. Uh, people will allow you to talk about God because God is sort of a generic term in our culture. Uh, people use a, his name, God, as a swear word. And uh, they say that, oh, God, and you know all the times that are there. And they don't have any concept about that. And they'll let you get away with that. You can talk about God all day long as you want because no one... Is making it any more personal than that, like what God are you talking about? It's, um, but when you bring up the name of Jesus, then you have a different story. You have something that's different. Uh, people don't want his name mentioned anywhere. And so we are in a culture right now that Jesus, name above all names, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, is not talked about much. And I'm afraid sometimes we as believers don't enter into that understanding, even in our conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ. We might attach him at the end of a prayer. uh, In Jesus' name, I pray. Or we might, um, I don't know, when would you use the name of Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Colossians chapter 1, we've been studying and looking at it, And in verse 12, he introduces the Colossian people to the Father and what the Father has done for us. And then in verse 15, he will say, and his Son, the Lord Jesus. So I want to read these verses, and we're going to look at several things this morning about that. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, shed on the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Father has made that uh, declaration, he has come to us, even before while we are still in our sin, while we are still far estranged from God, alienated from God, enemies of God, all those things, Christ, Jesus, died for us, Romans 5.8. And here in Colossians 1, 12 and 13, 14, excuse me, we've looked at that, where the Father has qualified us. We talked about that last week. He's qualified, made us sufficient, gave us all that it took, and all of it takes to become a part of the inheritance of the saints. We're qualified through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he rescued us, brought us out of darkness into light. He said, you've been in an enemy kingdom, my enemy, Satan, in his darkness. And he's taken us from then into darkness, into the kingdom of the son that he loves, the son that he loves. And so we have to understand, who's his son? The son's Lord Jesus. He brought us from jail, incarceration. We went in jail into the bodies of sin, and he redeemed us. He brought us out of that condition and brought us into uh, freedom, redemption. And finally, it says that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and moved us from condemnation to forgiveness. Uh, Sir Walter Scott, a name from literature you might remember back in the 1870s or whatever, He had difficulty, it says, with the idea of turning the other cheek. He said, I don't quite get how do we do that. But Jesus' words took on special meaning one day when Scott threw a rock at a stray dog to chase it away. His aim was straighter and his delivery stronger than he had intended. For he hit the animal and broke its leg. Instead of running off, the dog limped over to him and licked his hand. Sir Walter never forgot that touching response. He said, That dog preached the Sermon on the Mount to me as few ministers have ever presented it. Scott said he had not found human beings so ready to forgive their enemies. He went on to say, Jesus has taken every pebble, every rock, every stone and boulder that you have thrown at him And still he says, I love you, and I will forgive you. It's time to stop throwing rocks, isn't it? People throw rocks at God. They say, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. They spit on Jesus. They beat him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. All those things. And yet, here it is. The Father God said, I will give to you, and I will move towards you, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness—it's what God has given to us, such great love. And the Father says, "I'm going to bring you into that kingdom. I'm going to bring you to the kingdom of the Son that I love, my Son, the Lord Jesus." These next verses, fifteen to twenty, are probably the uh, as all the commentaries I read, everybody, and even my own reading, the premier passage that describes who Jesus is. These next verses. And they will say, the son is. And we will talk about some of those as we go along. Because Paul said, I've got to address some stuff with you. And I would say he wants to address, the Bible wants to address some stuff with us as well. Because there is always an effort in heresy or false religions or false doctrine to move us away from the person of the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to get into the... Uh, into the weeds about this, but in that time period, there was a movement called Gnosticism, which says that God is eternal, that's up there, earth is dirt, it is bad, so matter is bad, God is good, because they can't con- connect. So Jesus doesn't have much to say about this. And let me give you a couple of things that the Colossian people were facing, and Paul's not gonna address those. Let's go down to chapter two and verse eight. Paul writes, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ, Messiah, Jesus. He said, there's going to be things that are going to come your way and there are coming, Colossian Church, at you trying to turn you away from Jesus. They're philosophies, they are these... um, Human traditions, they're spiritual, they're not of Christ, but they're going to turn you away. Look down verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought into fullness. So they were challenging him, the followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ. They know who Jesus is. He said, there are people that want to turn you away from that that they're going to deny that, but, but you've got to know that Christ is the fullness. Back to verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. We've got to, he said, I want to address that with you. Go down to verse 16, chapter 2. 16, he said, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come But the reality, however, is found in Christ. So be careful that you're turned away just by doing good religious things. Observances, uh, traditions, festivals, new moon, Sabbath day, all those kind of things. You can get diverted and not see Jesus. Verse 18. He said, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and in worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes in a great deal about what they've seen, puffed up with idle notions, and they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by all of its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now that phrase, lost connection with the head, go back over to chapter 1, and uh, he's, it, the scripture said, verse 19, all the foolishness. Um, Reconciled, I'm not finding my verse here. He, okay, verse uh, 18. And he is the head of the body. He said, what's been going on is you're losing connection to the head of the church. You're losing your connection with Jesus. You're losing who he is by these things that have come in. So I don't think it's much different than today. People are losing their connections to Jesus. We can have a church Do we could preach Jesus. Well, maybe, maybe not. He's one of the ways, and we go on with that. You see, the question of who Jesus is has come up over and over in Scripture. It's come up to, um, who is this man? Who is he? In Colossians' church, he said, I'm going to tell you who he is, but you've got to w- look out that people are going to divert your attention, cause you to stumble, be deceived by looking in another direction. Let me just show you a couple of these, what I'm talking about. Turn to your Bible to Mark chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter four, and verse forty-one, Mark, Mark four one another. On this particular night, uh, it was it was a, a storm night, a raging storm had suddenly come up. Uh, the boat, po- both the disciples and Jesus were in, was tossed about. It was like a, just they were up and down. And the disciples said, "We're going to die," but Jesus is asleep in the back. I'm just. Giving you a little background, and he's asleep in the back of the boat. Go wake him up. And they said to him, uh, "Don't you care that we are going to die?" Uh, that's verse uh, four, verse thirty-eight. Disciples woke and said, to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown? We're going to drown." He said, "You just be quiet." And uh, and then he said to the waves, "Be quiet. Be still." And the winds were calmed down, and it was it was reduced to the sea was just a calm place. And he said, why don't you believe this? And look what they said, verse 30, 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? You can put the man, who's this man? Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So they, they were caught up with, we've just seen this powerful thing happen, but who is he? Who is this? Go, down, go to the book of Luke, just a, another book towards the back of your Bible. We'll look at verse 5, or chapter 5, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. And this is a, 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 an event where Jesus healed a paralytic who had been brought, uh, Luke chapter 5 and verse 21. Um, this is where he was teaching and they come from there and they carried a paralyzed man and they let him down through the roof. You remember this story. And when he came in, he saw their faith. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And uh, they were thinking, how can he do this? Who can forgive him? Can only God do this? Verse 21, the Pharisees' teacher of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who is he? Who is he? We've got to answer the question, who is he? Go to chapter 9, verse 9. 9, verse 9. Even King Herod asked this question. Luke 9, verse 9. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? Who is he? Who is this? And he tried to see Jesus. And you can go back to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus came in uh, to the city on a donkey and the tri- what we call in term the triumphal entry, we t- call it that, um, 21.10, Matthew 21, verse 10. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stored and asked, who is this? Who is this? I think if you would just bring up the name of Jesus to people around you and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in him, and follow up, can I tell you who he is? Well, you tell me. Who is he? And they would say, I don't know. He's a good guy, a good teacher, whatever. So the answer that Paul's going to tell the people is really about the matter of who he is. It is Jesus. Who's the kingdom of his son? And Colossians know he's the Savior. We pray, they, he gave thanks. He talked to them about it. But who is Jesus? Now, we could, we could probably take a test and get it. I came across a man by the name of Sam Storm. Uh, Great name. Uh, I could just see him growing up with that name. Here comes Stormy Storm. Come on, boy, come in. I don't know who the guy is, but what I read about him, I thought, I'm going to take that. I'm going to use it. Because he imagined something. He said, imagine you have a neighborhood uh, dinner party. Everybody comes around the neighborhood, comes to your house, and people are sitting around talking, and then, People from different backgrounds are there, and suddenly uh, the conversation turns, and he asks, who is this man Jesus? And then he goes down through some of the religious philosophies or thinking today, and I haven't gone through all these, but I know enough about to know he's fairly accurate in this. But he said there was a Mormon first to speak up. He said, let me tell you who Jesus was. He's the firstborn child of Elohim. He was a product of the physical union between Father God and the Virgin Mary. Don't look so shocked, he says to his neighborhood crowd. For a time, God and Mary were actually husband and wife, and they had sexual relationships, as any married couple would, and conceived Jesus. And the good news is if we work hard enough, we too can become sons of God in the same sense that Jesus is. Well, the Muslim in the crowd protest. No, 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 you got it all wrong. Jesus is just like Abraham and Moses and Isaiah. He was a prophet of God, but he was not himself God. In fact, he wasn't even the most important of the prophets. Mohammed, who lived 500 years after Jesus, was God's greatest prophet. Besides, Jesus didn't really die on the cross as Christians believe. He was rescued by God, carried to a safe place in the heavens. And since there was no death, there was no atonement for sin. Since there was no death, there was no resurrection either. Don't dare disagree with me, says the Muslim. They're talking about who's Jesus in this little fake, this uh, little imagined thing. Jehovah's Witness couldn't hold his peace. You're both wrong. Prior to his coming, to earth, Jesus was Michael the Archangel. He's only a creature the first product of Jehovah God's creative work. When he was born to the Virgin Mary, he was divested of his spiritual angelic nature, became holy and exclusively a man. Jesus is not God. You can't believe that, that he was God. Now, he refers to the unification church, uh, some young moon, if some of you would remember that. It isn't so pronounced anymore. But the moon, he says this, you people are so deceived. On the one hand, I agree with those who say that Jesus was a mere man. But what you don't know is that he was actually the illegitimate child of an adulterous relationship between Mary and Zacharias, the husband of his cousin Elizabeth. Jesus, are you guys really following this? You're looking at me, who are these people? Where did they get this? Okay, this is what they believe. Jesus failed to establish the perfect family on earth, so God has sent to us his second Messiah to carry in the work. His name is Reverend Sung young moon and they used to sell roses really cheap disgusted by all this the religious progressive liberal in the group takes control you're all fools it's 21st century for heaven's sake all of you talk and you live in the dark ages common sense alone tells us that jesus was a natural born son of mary and joseph no different at birth than anyone else but don't get me wrong i'm not an atheist in fact, because of his exceptional virtue and humility and spiritual sensitivity, God adopted him to be his son. He endowed him with miraculous powers and through him proclaimed the wonderful message of the universal father of God, universal brotherhood of men. You probably believe in Santa Claus and the tooth fairy too, right? That was that individual. Now the next door neighbor who's completely bewildered by it all says, wow, wow. I always thought Jesus was just a good old boy who told us to love everybody and be nice. It's too bad he ended up getting killed like that. But as long as we all believe in the existence of God, does it really matter all that much? Is it really really worth it to start a neighborhood fight? And then he sort of throws in this uh, comment. And you sit there nervously sipping your coffee as every eye on the table turns his attention to you waiting your opinion on who jesus is uh uh uh, let me see uh would anyone care for dessert now i wonder if you can answer the question into that crowd into your crowd wherever you work wherever you can you answer the question who's jesus a lot of religions are out there in fact paul said in the book of colossians he said You've got to be careful because people have relegated Jesus to something that it can't be God. So he must be an angel. So we're going to worship angels and we'll worship God. You should be back in Colossians now. Colossians chapter 1. Who is this God? Who is this Son of God, rather? Verse 15 begins to spell it out very clearly. The Father introduced. He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loved The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together, and he is even the head of the body, the church. Who is this one? Why should he be first place in your mind as a Christian, one who's given your life to Jesus? Why should he be first place? Why should he be the one that we talk about? There's a story about Leonardo da Vinci and his famous painting, The Last Supper. It says that he called his friends up to criticize his work. I just want you to see it and, and critique it for me. I want you to see this. His friend came up and his remark was, that, is that most striking thing in the picture that I see is that chalice, that cup in the painting. The artist took his brush and wiped it out. He wiped off the cup from the painting and said, nothing in my painting shall attract more attention than the face of my master. I read that story and I said, I'm going to look it up. And I looked up the painting of Leonardo's uh, The Last Supper, Leonardo da Vinci. And you know, there's not a cup in there other than a mug down the line. There's no chalice there. And so I think of the story and I said, he decides, he said, when I paint this picture, I don't want anybody to see anybody, nobody's face but Jesus. And I think about this. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. He is the one that we need to see. He's the one that our eyes should be on him. So many of us and so many things distract us and marginalize marginalize him. Just put him off to the side someplace. Yeah, I love Jesus, but when we do that and remove him from being first place, we open ourselves up to any other philosophy any other tradition any other voice that would say this is how we ought to do it we don't look at Jesus Paul said I preach Christ and him crucified I don't know what else to do he is the one I'm going to talk about so we address this Jesus is the only way to salvation we can declare his lordship we can believe it and practice it in our lives Verse 15, let me go again. It said, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the representative of God to earth, the image of the invisible God. We know that God is Spirit. We can't see him, but Jesus came to show us the Father. So what I'm going to learn about the Father. I'm going to learn through his son, the image, an exact representation and the revelation of God the Father. And we just saying that I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one. I believe that. I believe in you. But what is going to happen? Jesus is not separate from the, God, uh, from the Godhead. He's not part of, over there, some uh, birth thing that happened over there. He's part of the Trinity. He's part of God. He is God. And he—it's God is spirit, Father. God is spirit, can't be seen, but God reveals Himself through His what is called a theophany. Now that might be a theological word, but what it simply means that God, throughout the Old Testament, revealed Himself to people through different things, and they called it a theophany, a God presentation. And you can remember them: the burning bush to Moses, that was one of them. When God spoke to him, a cloud. A cloud came and the people saw him. It was a, ta- a tangible thing. In fact, Joshua, when he went out to fight, there was a, the captain of the Lord's army, a theophany. It was a revelation. He said, that's, that's Jesus. That's the Father. That's what I'm seeing. Go to the book of Hebrews now. Hebrews. Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, and I just referred to the past, but I want you to see what he says here. Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is a radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, I, I can't quit there. I've got to keep reading through his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was there. And God has spoken in many ways, but now he said, I'm speaking to you through my Son. The Son is the image of the exact representation of the invisible God. You see, seeing God is a part of our hearts. Eternity has been said, and we want to see God. Moses said, in Exodus 3 he said, please show me your glory. I want to see you, God. But how can man see God? How can I see him? Go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. As John writes about the Lord Jesus, you go down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Here's the function of Jesus. When Jesus came to the earth, he said, I'm here to show you the Father. I'm here to declare him. I'm here to, the word make known is exegesis, which means to unpack line by line, part by part. He said, I'm just going to say this is God. I'm going to divide, you're going to see him in all of his characteristics. You're going to watch this happen. Go to, uh, keep, keep your hand here and go to chapter 14. Chapter 14. Uh, keep something. I'm going to come back to John 1:1 1, 1 here in just a moment. But John 14, the last words Jesus is giving to his disciples. Verse 8, Philip says to Jesus, this is just the time before he goes to the cross talking to his disciples. He said, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, he said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been you among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence by the works themselves. Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father, and I do whatever, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. It's a matter of you've seen me, you've seen. The Father. So we could go to Jesus and study his life, which is why it's wonderful to read through the Gospels. And if you understand, how am I going to get to know God? Look at Jesus. See how Jesus treated people. That's the Father's heart. How did Jesus, Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead? How? That's the Father's will. He said, I'm going to do the Father's will, so when you see me, you're going to see my Father in heaven. He is the image of the invisible God. Go back to John chapter 1. Because He said, the things that I'm going to teach you came from my Father. Look at uh, verse 1, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He was with God, and he was the Word, the expression of God. He gave forth of the words of God. He expressed, communicated God to the people. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 8, 28, he said, I'm teaching you what the Father gave me to teach. It's the Word of God. So let me say this to all of us and make this a little bit more practical for you. If you want to know how to be a good parent, you want to know how to be a good employee, if you want to know how to be a good wife, if you want to know how to be a good husband and a parent and a father, if you want to know how to get saved, the decisions you make, it comes through the Word of God. It comes through knowing him. It comes through the Lord Jesus. And you get to know him because it's through, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. How? He expressed the will of God to us. We need to know. He revealed the Father to us, told us how to, and the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Let me give you another passage. How did Jesus represent the Father Or talk to the Father, talk about the Father. Why does he say what he says? Go back uh, to the book of Philippians, which is right before Colossians. Book of Philippians chapter 2. I'll just begin at verse 6. He says, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, verse 6, Philippians 2, 6, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearances a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even the death on the cross he took on the role of a servant that's how he represented Jesus lived as a servant he said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, become servant of all. To remember when, again, Jesus was with his disciples and uh, they were having that last time, that last supper together with them? And it says that he took a basin and he wrapped a towel around himself and he washed their feet. Peter said, I don't want nothing to do with that. He said, listen, I got to wash it. You don't have any part of me. I'm going to demonstrate to you the Father. I'm going to show you the Father by my servant heart. Not only did he teach them, that was his word, to teach, but he also was a representative. He represented the Father. Man was made in the image of God. God made Adam, and he said, you're going to be in the image of God created him. But Adam fell. He fell in his sin. He wasn't In Genesis chapter 1. But Christ has not failed. I could go into other scriptures. That Jesus now, John 17, I can grant them eternal life. As your representative, as as the price has been paid, I will give eternal life. He represents him. And one final thing about representation is in John John chapter 5, verse 22. And he said, the son is going to be the judge of all the earth the judge of all the earth. He's representing God. Jesus will be the judge of all the earth. So I ask you the question, and I've only got one part of it. There's about four more statements that are very important out of Colossians. But do you realize, are you, do you know as you worship him that he is the exact representative of Father God? When you look at Jesus, we see the Father We see his teaching. We see his character. We see that. And Jesus said it over and over. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a powerful thing. And Jesus is worthy of my worship because he is the exact representation of God. It's worthy to follow him, to model your life after him. Said Jesus, I want to live like you. I want to live like Jesus lived. I want to walk as you walk, Jesus. Why? Because the exact representation of the Father. And I can focus my heart on him, studying the word, learn about Jesus, learn about the Father. And the scripture said, the Father brought us into the kingdom rule of his own son. And that's when I put my, the words on the paper and I said, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. And he represented the heart of the Father to say, Jim needs rescued from darkness. Jim needs set free from the bondage of sin. Jim needs to be redeemed. Jim needs to be forgiven. And even, I've said this many, many times, even at nine years old, I knew that I needed a Savior. The Holy Spirit drew me. You need a Savior, and I remember, and oh, many times grown far beyond that, but to say, I knew at even that young age that I need to know the Father, but I need Jesus to be my Savior. Let me ask you, have you put Jesus over there someplace? Or maybe over there someplace? I go to church, I read my Bible, but when is the last time that you said these words, Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, to say, Jesus, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus, there's something about that name. I could sing song after song of worship towards Jesus' name. Name above all names. The king's exalted Jesus. Would you stop with me? Worship team, come. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He makes the Father visible to us. Stand with us. Just bow your heads and say, Jesus, I want to acknowledge you afresh this morning. Jesus, I want to lift you higher in my thoughts and my mind. Jesus, I want my relationship with you to be far above just a ritual, a, 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 a practice. I, I want to know you. I want to worship you. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Lord, my knee will bow there too. We're going to bow at your feet and declare that you're Lord join worship. I'm going to worship Jesus.